Our first scripture for today comes from Hebrews chapter 4, and it's on page 1091 in your pew Bible. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we are thankful for your word, for the message you send to us of your love for us. We pray that our hearts will be open to hear your message as it is read, sung, and prayed this day. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 16. Listen for the word of God. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, piercing until it, excuse me, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word of the Lord. Our gospel reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. Hear now these words of the gospel writer. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything behind and followed you. 
Jesus said, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray now with me as I pray for you? Loving God, speak your words to our hearts, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So this will be a fun uh, scripture passage to preach on here, right? The lectionary gives us this lovely passage about selling everything to follow Jesus and then that wealthy people can't get saved any more than a camel can go through the eye of a needle. And all due respect, folks, this may not be the most comfortable place to preach that sermon. Now, I could have skipped this passage and gone with something else, but I find the discipline of the lectionary to be both a challenge and a gift, some days more challenge than gift. But stewardship season or not... I'd remind you that Jesus talked about money more than he did heaven and hell combined. Actually, Jesus talked about money more than any other single thing other than the kingdom of God, and nearly a third of Jesus' parables talk about money. And it's a funny thing, isn't it, that over 2,000 years after the time in which this story was first told, we human beings still manage to get all tangled up in the role of money in our lives and the questions of how our faith and our finances interact with each other. Besides, I could keep this a really short sermon. To sum it all up, sell everything that you own, give it all to the church, then the church's budget will be fine, you'll have eternal life, everything will fall into place. Amen! Now we can go home, right? Mm, except, you know, sorry. I'm not even sure that that's really the point of the story. As a matter of fact, I think there might even be a different ending to the story of the rich man than most of us have previously considered. We assume, don't we, that when the rich man goes away sorrowfully, it is because he is unwilling to do what God has asked of him. But what if he's going away sorrowfully because he intends to do what Jesus asked him to do? After all, unlike some of the disciples, Jesus doesn't ask him to drop everything, to just leave it all behind to follow him. He says, go away and sell all that you own. This man has many possessions. Maybe he wanted to be invited to be with Jesus right now, to not have to go home and deal with all that stuff. Or maybe he knows Jesus is right, and while he is going to be obedient, it's going to hurt to sell all those things that he has collected. After all, do we really think that Peter and the other disciples did not miss their families and their former lives and feel sad about what they had given up sometimes? 
Despite the immediacy which, with, with which they are shown turning their lives over to Jesus, for how many of us does it really happen that way? Setting aside the things that are most important to us, the dreams that we had in order to follow Jesus' call can involve sadness and loss, even when we know we are making a right decision, even when we know that the decision will ultimately be more fulfilling than all the things we could possibly have. Has that ever happened for you? You make a choice to do the right thing, even if it may cost you a friend, a job, a relationship that's important to you, money or other acquisitions. Sometimes making a serious change in our life is hard and a sorrowful thing. Taking the first step towards really pointing our lives in a new direction is not easy. And Jesus acknowledges that it isn't easy. As a matter of fact, he says it's really hard. As impossible as putting a camel through the eye of a needle. Now Peter starts to point out, hey Jesus, some of us have done it. But Jesus interrupts him. Because Peter bragging about his own actions is as much of a stumbling block as the need to control his own destiny is for this rich man. And when the rich man comes to see Jesus, he is there asking for the details. What do I still need to do to get into heaven? He's confident that he's been following all the rules that God has set down before him. And he has a lot of stuff, which back in those days was interpreted as a sign of God's favor. Except if we're honest with ourselves, even in these days, don't we interpret monetary blessings as a sign of God's favor? Still, there's something missing. Some kind of emptiness, something about this pile of possessions and living right by the rules of the faith that still just isn't doing it for this man. He knows that something still isn't right. Because if he was sure of his way of life and of his salvation, why would he even need to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? David Lowe suggests that we know that more money does not make us happy, yet we all too often act like it does. Why? Because we live in a culture that bombards us 24-7 with the seductive and false message that money is the answer to our problems and there is not enough of it to go around. Further, he suggests, most of us have gotten into the habit of buying to make ourselves feel better. It doesn't work, at least not for long, but we've been so conditioned that when the new shoes or laptop doesn't give us a lift for long, we tend to look for something else to buy that will. And this man, this is one of those guys who says, well, I built it all myself. And he wants to know what he can do, how he's going to make this happen. I can do this. I can fix this. I can correct this hole in my life. You tell me what to do. I'm going to make it happen. Jesus sees him, hears him, and looks on him with love and compassion. Jesus knows what he really needs, and it isn't more stuff or even to buy any particular thing or even to follow yet another rule. 
No, this is a person who needs to begin by getting into relationship with other people, people who need help. For Jesus doesn't tell him to go give his stuff away, and he doesn't tell him to abandon it all, and he doesn't say give more to the temple, sorry, finance committee, or just do more of the same except pray more often. Now, it may seem that this text is about money, and it partly is, but it's not exclusively about money. It's really about idolatry. It's about that which stands between a person and God. In the Bible, there are consistent warnings about the danger of two things. One, a short memory about what God has done. And the second is false worship. And this text invites us to consider the second of those warnings. The person in this encounter with Jesus is not sinful because he is wealthy but he is missing something because he has a limited view of faith. The obstacle between this rich man and eternal life is not some blatant sin. Our idols are seldom that easily identified. Rather, his sin was about what he valued too much. Jesus said, sell all you have and give the money to the poor. Quit focusing on your own need and your need to control everything. Quit focusing on what you want and what you need and get into relationship with those who need the blessings you already have. This person has the opportunity to make a difference in the lives of those around around him and make their lives more secure rather than spending all his time worrying about making sure his place in this life and the next is secure at the expense of relationship with others and with God and at the expense of being aware of the needs of those around him. You know, even the disciples were shocked by Jesus' words about the camel and the needle. After all, it seems like it should be obvious that the guy who follows all the rules and becomes rich is blessed by God. And if he's going to have a hard time getting into heaven... What hope could there possibly be for the rest of us? But Jesus reminds them, for you, you're right, not possible. You can't do it. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't fix it. But it's not up to you. It's up to God. And for God, it is possible. Everything is possible. But you've got to get the stuff that is keeping you from really dedicating your life out of the way, whether it's money or control or houses or maybe even people or a job or a title or whatever it is. That stuff has to get out of the way so that God can act. The scripture says this man is sorrowful because he had many possessions. Is it possible that this man goes away not because he has not sorrowful because he has to sell his possessions, not sorrowful because he's refusing to sell him, sell them, but because he recognizes that he has been focused on the wrong things and that all these possessions are what have kept him from truly living. Anybody here have any actual money, dollar bill, 20? I promise I'm not asking for it. You might remember 
you know, I'm, I'm surprised. Nobody's ever been able to wave a dollar at me yet in this, you know, y'all must all use plastic. But I bet you know anyway. There you go. What's the motto on that? Was that at all in 1950-something? In God we trust. In God we trust. Is it true? Do we trust in God? Or do we put our trust in that piece of paper and all its cousins that sit in the banks and in portfolios and are used to pay for our houses and our cars and educations and that we believe define our future. What do we trust? And how would we spend those dollars this week? How would we spend our money if we really mean in God we trust. What would we buy? What would we choose not to buy? What would you save and for what purpose? What would you give? How much and to whom? It isn't stewardship season here in our church and yet it is stewardship season all the time because stewardship isn't just about giving money to the church. It is about taking care of our resources in light of God's commands and promises in recognition that the only one we should trust is God. So what would your life look like? What would our church look like if we trusted in God instead of trying to do it all by ourselves, instead of trying to control every little thing? What would we put our money into? What would we quit throwing money at? What might it look like to let go of things that are holding us back? What would it mean to be both individuals and a community that truly lives, fully lives, the life we have been called to live and a life that demonstrates trust in God? So why not put that into practice this week? With human beings, it's impossible to get a camel through the eye of the needle. But with God, all things are possible. May we trust in God. Amen.